0: Oh, here we go—the final episode of the season, per se, the last game of the season, week eighteen. Oh no, I already screwed it up. Nope, no, screw no, it no, up? no, 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 no. Am I it. good? You got it. I'm yeah, good? Yep. Okay, okay. There's a okay. lot of
1: weeks in there, and Ooh. you know we were in such a rhythm for decades. Yes, seventeen weeks, sixteen games. It's yep. still the symmetry is just a little bit off, but yes, week eighteen.
0: I, this is the sort of thing I would need written on a piece of paper. Week eighteen, episode seventeen of the podcast. That is correct.
1: That is My, correct. Miles, oh, yeah.
0: I was just—I was going to say really quickly, just you know, to make sure everyone understands, this is an unprecedented episode. This is a live look directly. It is currently four fifty-three p.m. on the West Coast. The Seahawks just wrapped up the season.
1: There's probably some guys still in uniform right now. Probably some probably some guys some, crying. Some heads, some shoulders slumped.
0: Probably some guys crying, lockers. some guys laughing, some guys hugging, some guys don't touch me. You know, there's probably a lot going on. There's a, a spectrum of human emotion in the desert.
1: Oh, I thought you were talking about on this podcast. But yes, in the desert as well. There is I, that full spectrum mm. of human emotion. Now I know the podcast usually sounds like a beautiful jazz. Oh man, pop imp- the the listener might be astonished to find that uh, we do write things down <laughs> ahead of time. Uh, there was one exception to that, which was episode one. We didn't write anything down. That didn't go very well. We we want to start writing things down until today. We said we need we need that we want, we want that raw emotional edge coming right off of whatever was going to happen on the football field today. And so here it is. Here the it N- is.
0: The NFL gave it to us, right? We had the the Bears game going on simultaneously with the Seahawks game. So we had everything we could ask for. And, and yeah, we had to feel this as it happened. Um, can I tell you the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing that came to mind for me to share with you today? Absolutely. This came to mind as I was watching the final field goal attempt by Arizona, it's currently 2020 and I'm watching, you know, will they win? I'm sorry, 2120. Will they win the game with this field goal? And I said out loud to no one for no one to hear. I watched the game alone. I said out loud, I have no idea what I want right now. I have no idea if I want him to make it or miss it. Um, because I don't know the draft implications. I I know my gut tells me I want to win every game forever and all of that. But also like it could be that, you know, when we in a couple of months in March as we're looking at the draft, we're like, "Ah, oh, you know what? <clears throat> Those two or three spots would be pretty nice right now. I'd rather have a losing record than a winning record." Um I think I'm glad he missed it, but if I see somebody that I really like in the draft, I'm going to be kind of bummed
1: that's an interesting thought. Uh, I you know hopefully that never never this that that sentiment never comes across Pete's ears. You know what Pete would say?
0: Win forever, always you compete. Gotta, it's
1: a game in the NFL. You got to win it, and worry about the draft later. Can I set us just for posterity for the yes the future listener? So the Seahawks won a football game today, twenty-one to twenty. It was maybe the most unsatisfying win ever. <laughs> ever on just about every level, I actually did come into this feeling confused about whether they won or not. What was maybe even more relevant was that the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears 17-9. to The Packers had control of their playoff destiny. And you know what? The first quarter of the Seahawks-Cardinals game was grinding along so slowly. I don't. I was watching it live over the air, but the first quarter was such a grind that the that Packers Bears game got about five minutes ahead in clock time, and it's and it stayed there. And so, with about five minutes left in Seahawks Cardinals, you you saw the news come in that 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 was final, and the Seahawks were kind of just playing out the string. And and this is why a competitor such as you would even think just about draft implications because the season was practically was over at that point even though the game was not and it was um yeah jeez and, and I mentioned it last week the team did end up finishing 9 and 8 but boy which is what I would have expected I would I expected a 9 or 8 or 10 and 7 season at the start of the year yep so on paper I got what I expected but boy did it feel a lot worse both before today and during today than I ever could have imagined
0: So many games given away, games that we feel we should have won. There's there's that frustration. Can I tell you the one? This is probably the the podcast to get some uh, some frustrations out, I suppose. You know, if there was if there's a time for different, you know, the, the, the different stages of mourning. Right. Maybe this is the stage to get out the frustration. As I was watching it, the other thought that I had actually when. Ah, uh, devin witherspoon pile drived James Connor, you know, he he caught that ball in the flat. Witherspoon, great little tackle there for the in the final drive. Um, my first thought as I was watching Witherspoon, just all excited and jumping around the field, and this actually made me a little angry, honestly. The idea that he doesn't get a play in the playoffs and the idea that he doesn't as a rookie get those valuable playoff reps that can accelerate him as a better pro into next year. You know, I think even just one playoff game, hey, we got playoff experience, you know, all the way down to our rookie class. Everyone has playoff experience. The idea that he's not going to get that really kind of, I had that moment, he does that pile drive. And I'm like, Devin Witherspoon isn't going to play in the playoffs this year. That seems like a travesty. Like, it seems like the world should see him play in the playoffs and he should get the chance to, become better and he should get the chance to grow as a pro in the playoffs. So that just kind of hit, it hit me during that pile drive. It's like, ah, this guy, this guy should be in the playoffs.
1: I noted Devin. I thought Devin Witherspoon was the best Seahawk on the field today. I thought there were a number of times where he made a very high degree of difficulty tackle in the open field. It wasn't a hundred percent on his tackling situations but uh once again it was should have been maybe been no surprise I, w- I was devastated to see the broadcast mentioned that James Connor of the Cardinals is either on the season or over the, like the last six weeks is the lead leader in yards after contact that came before facing the Seahawks he got quite a few yards after contact today which was both not a surprise and still devastating to see yeah Uh, but Witherspoon did have especially on passes kind of out to the corner in the flat there he he made a number of tackles that were really important and early in the game I mean I I wrote a note down from the first quarter uh, he had an open field tackle like that that forced Arizona into a three and out on like their second possession so you're right I wasn't thinking about that that he won't get that playoff experience but you know, he's, he's playing like that with that energy from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. It's a little bit confusing. I feel like he would just, he plays with such energy and passion. Yeah. It, it's a little surprising it's not galvanizing everybody around him to an extent. And I can't wait for him to get older and it, be, it becomes a little more clear that he can be the leader of this defense. It maybe yeah. just couldn't happen with him being a rookie because no matter what, fifth overall pick, Pro Bowl. Uh, he's still a rookie, you know, so he maybe couldn't be like a leader in that way right off the bat, but man, maybe it could start from year two. You know, I mean, some of those Legion of Boom guys were not very old when when they were leading the team to the Super Bowl. So
0: yeah. Yeah. You, you step into it, I think in year two, I I think that's a, that's a really good point. And, And that's a really good positive point to make that, that we are now going into a time when this can start to become more his team. Speaking of guys that um that I guess we root for and, and just um interesting players. I was really taken aback after the Tyler Lockett two point conversion that during the replay, the camera, they just had like DK Metcalf and he was just going crazy, like like just pumping his fists with excitement for Tyler's two point conversion. And like, yeah, we got it. And like I that speaks to me a little bit. Did did it speak to you? I mean, just the idea that DK Metcalf is excited in that moment. Like, like this game means nothing. I'm not the one who got the two point conversion. So not only does this game mean nothing, it's not going on my stat sheet. It's going on Tyler's stat sheet. And I am like moving my body with massive excitement that we got that two point conversion that the Tyler got it. DK is a is an enigma. Like he is such an interesting human being. He has moments where he loses control. And then I feel like he has a moment like this where I'm like, that seems like extreme maturity to me. Like the fact that he would be able to in that moment, be happy and celebrate a two point conversion that's meaningless on the season, meaningless to his stat line, yet celebrate Tyler Lockett in the moment. I don't know. I I don't know if I'm overthinking it or not. Tell me what you think about that.
1: You're not overthinking it. I think one of the bizarre features of the 2023 Seahawks who have concluded their run as a football team is their greatest weaknesses would become their greatest strengths and vice versa. So early part of the season, yeah, immaturity, huge, huge uh, struggle with DK Metcalf. Second half of the year, there was one bad penalty he got in the second half of the year. But man, there wasn't a more clutch player on the team. And same thing, you know, Jamal Adams hasn't been on the sideline for any of these games, which is bizarre. And like I meant, we don't know what's happening. That's bizarre. But even though it was, it ended up being that terrible one point loss against the Rams, that was the day he was out there sleeveless. Uh, He was injured for that game. It was like a one game absence. And that was the day he was out there on the sideline in like a sleeveless hoodie, like jacking everybody up. Uh, It's just funny that you know, and by the way, I made a note of something. Speaking of uh, weaknesses becoming strengths, I mean, you we would have been relieved to hear this at Thanksgiving, but it ended up not mattering. Zero penalties today for the for the team. Didn't even notice. Yeah, zero penalties for zero yards. and It's like you know, at Thanksgiving time, it was like this team is losing games because they can't stop making like weird bad penalties all the time (laughs) and uh that issue completely goes away and it and but then it's like well now we're on to this run defense issue which was arguably one of the team's strengths definitely not a weakness uh going back to the first half of the season
0: that's it's what a great dichotomy to bring up The fact that the run defense was a strength through, well, until Chenna got hurt, kind of to your point last week. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, what, week five, week six ish, kind of around that time. And to your point, like that, at that point in the season, penalties are just plaguing this team in every category you can. it, It was a beautiful bouquet every week of penalties. You had your pass interference, you had your holding, you had your. Um, you had your offsides, you had your false starts, you, everything. I mean, it was all there, perfectly balanced in this bouquet by a, a master gardener. And the idea that you you finish the season and that script is completely changed. You cannot stop the run and your penalties are getting much better is, I mean, I'm not going to say hilarious because... This team, and I mean, of course, this is the big takeaway again in this game, even though we won this game, this game isn't terribly different than last week, right? Like they were able to, we said last week, what made last week special or difficult or whatever, or actually understandable, I think is what I mean to say. What made last week understandable was it's like, hey, man, you're not going to win every game with a last minute drive to win the game like. That's just not a sustainable way to win football games. You can win games that way, and it can be super exciting, but you can't count on that. You can't count on the the drive in two minute mode to to get things done. And we saw that they were able to do it this time. So what? Now they've done it three out of four times, right? For like to conclude the season. Is that? Am I saying that correctly?
1: You you are. I can't. It's believe unbelievable. It. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you're you, would right, you, say, right.
0: you would say like excellent. Like we we accomplished this thing that uh, it's a, it's a pretty iffy way. It's not a good strategy to win football games. We're seventy five percent of the time we're winning football games on final drives, dagger in the heart, and it, it. In some ways, it makes last week even more like yeah, man. Like you can't win that way every week.
1: Oh man, I, I I'm so confused that the the Seahawks actually won this football game because um what I was writing down during the game was two things. Where one, it was really bizarre. We were seeing so many players get huge amounts of playing time who had not really been on the field all year on offense and defense. That was that was crazy. But then I've got the the Cardinals scored two second half touchdowns, and I that was They were both stood out to me a lot for different reasons. So the first one, uh, so, so I'm not even really recognizing that the Seahawks were like keeping the game close or that they scored or something. It's just those two second half touchdowns were so demoralizing. I almost don't remember anything else from the second half. So the first touchdown the Cardinals scored, the broadcast noted it was Seattle's longest, the longest drive that the defense gave up all year. 87 yards. Beautiful. It's a four play drive. Play number one is one of those Witherspoon tackles that goes for like zero or one yards. So really it's three plays, 87 yards, and it's like 30, 30, 30. And there were so many missed tackles on that. That put the Cardinals up 20 to 13. And for about an hour there, I was sitting going, You lost the season on that drive. Like you you, you know, you have them pinned deep. You get things going with a really positive first down play, and you break, you allow so many broken tackles, and they kind of just, they just scamper their way into the end zone. I was like, "That's it, that's the season." Then, this was the most bizarre play of of the year, and I'm very curious where you land on it. The trick, not a trick, the something happening, the the field goal that wasn't, the field goal that became a touchdown. I went on an emotional journey with this play. <laughs> <laughs> Even since it happened, I'm very curious where you land because I, I have a strong take, which was not my first take, but I have a strong take now.
0: So my my, my first, the first honest thing that I have to say about it is, Reek Woolen was in position, like he was there. He's insanely fast. Like I feel like if he takes a slightly different angle, he gets his hand up, and we're good to go. And so it, it, that's the weirdest thing to me. It's not as though this guy had no defenders around him, right? And it's like, oh man, they completely caught us sleeping. We didn't adjust at all. Like we adjusted, I feel like we adjusted 90 to 95%, but just not like the full 100% it takes to actually stop a play. So that's that's my first takeaway of, I guess, of the play itself. I don't know.
1: That's really funny. I hadn't considered that, but now that you mentioned it, you're you're definitely right. So my first thought was, because they kind of, it, it, it. I wasn't even oh. really why I was looking at something else. Uh, you know, on a, it because <laughs> you're just figuring. Oh, okay, here comes the field goal, and Matt Prater is actually you know. So I look up and the ball's in the end zone. So on the first replay, I was like, they just completely caught the Seahawks napping because they kind of go to the wide zone. Yeah, people are shuffling on and off the field, and you just see the Seahawks, the defense, just kind of looking amongst themselves and not really examining what the offense was doing. The broadcast noted that Kyler Murray didn't exit the numbers, which I did. I did not realize. I don't know if you did. I did not realize that was a significant boundary with substitution. Never heard that. So I was like, man, Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals, they totally mastered the rule book. They had to be studying the tape and realize the Seahawks just kind of did their own thing defending field goals. And they found this beautiful opportunity. But then here's where I here's where I landed, because I was doing some research into the rule book during the rest of the commercial breaks. I think I think the referees actually really made a, a huge mistake on this one. And I think they got very lucky that this did not impact the playoff picture because it was very close to, you know, if that Packers Bears game goes the other way or the the last Prater field goal goes in. And I thought the brought the, – because the, they started – they go to – I think it's Dean Blandino, their rules guy. They go to him, and they mention that, hey, if the offense substitutes, the defense needs to get a chance to substitute as well. And I think that's what Pete Carroll was upset about on the sideline. We haven't had a chance to go into the river to see any Pete Nuggets on this. Not issue. At all. I will be fascinated to see what he says. So I went online, and I ended up on footballzebras.com, which is a great web. It's like the – a Twitter account and website all about NFL refereeing. And they quote this little sentence of the rule book. Here we go. So this is about a quick offensive substitution. It says the umpire will stand over the ball until the referee deems that the defense has had a reasonable time to complete its substitutions. So what stuck out to me was Nick Belor's out there on the play. He's played a few defensive snaps for the Seahawks this year, but that's our special teams guy, you know. I, I don't really think and I was I so yeah I don't really think that the Hawks were given reasonable time to make the substitutions because the Cardinals did make substitutions bringing Prater and the punter on and then yeah yeah it just felt like there wasn't uh like at that time did need to be given like the rule book is saying the umpire needs to stand over the ball in the case of this quick thing so I actually do think it was a mistake and uh I think the Cardinals bamboozled both the referees and the Seahawks at once. But, you know, they got more credit to them. They got it best. I don't know. But I, I do I do feel like that was a – I landed on that was a mistake, which I didn't expect to because I was like, wow. At first it was like, man, Cardinals just caught them napping. But you can't just completely catch the defense napping. Like you, there has to be this kind of moment. Yeah, the, this back with, and forth. With, with substitutions. Very different from a two minute drive when everybody's keeping their full, you know, unit on the field for that entire thing. You know,
0: totally. Yeah, I for me, the thing that I thought about the most that is kind of a funny thing about the NFL. We have replays, right? We have a ton of technology around the NFL. Every other commercial is telling me about how AWS is analyzing a million plays And a million scenarios, you know, in five seconds, I'm constantly being hit by the cloud when I watch the NFL. And yet when and they mentioned like Pete tried to call a timeout and like he didn't he just wasn't able to get like a referee's attention. The idea with all of this technology surrounding the NFL that like a timeout is like the head coach jumping up and down being like, hey, timeout, timeout. It's weird that he just doesn't have a button. Or like that the team doesn't have a button that it hits. It's like, oh, yeah, look, clearly the team called a timeout before the moment. And that's a timeout. I, I, It happens where it helps the Seahawks all the time where the other team doesn't have time to call a timeout or something. But it is funny that like that part of the game is just based off of like they I've seen so many times over the years where like Pete Carroll's running as hard as he can down the sidelines so that he can get in front of a ref and call timeout it's like what if Pete like had a limp and he just didn't have the ability to like you know take off what if he wasn't the best what if Pete had the same cadence as like my dad they're about the same age you know like if my dad was trying to call a timeout and be like no sorry man You, you didn't get here fast enough like I don't know. I, it's a weird observation, but I feel as though um, maybe we could you know uh, help the timeout calling ability of a head coach with a button.
1: Oh man, I love I love the juxtaposition with all the ads and technology. The one that gets me and I I forget where I heard this, but some I heard it pointed out that like the literal chain gang, you know, it's like yeah. this 10-yard chain a, a chain with all these links that like literal links in the chain that can be bunched or something that has to be one of the least precise ways to measure out 10 yards. And yet that is like the gold, like, you know, they treat It's such a sacred measuring stick when they have to bring the chains out onto the field. It's like a chain. You're not going to, if you had to measure something for a project in your house and you're like, Oh, this piece of wood needs to be 12 inches wide. You're not going to bring out a chain. To measure that, you know,
0: <laughs> hey, don't worry, miles. um I know we're going to do a project on your place. I went to Home Depot. I got a ten yard chain, so we will know definitively what ten yards is based off of this chain. It is funny, like even if you're just to say like we should upgrade to rope, just rope uh, like that would be better than a chain like rope is never going like i I, I guess it could get tangled, but I mean it, a chain could also get tangled. It's, it's very funny. It's, it's well, a very funny me, league.
1: I don't watch tennis very often, but do you know where I'm going with what I say With when you watch tennis? When you watch tennis, it does not matter. I mean, some of these matches, if it's like on the outside of a tournament, there's just a couple hundred people there, and then their replay system is like perfect. You know, millimeter perfect, knowing where this ball bounces in or out, and it always fascinates me. Every time I watch tennis, the one or two times a year I'm like wow NFL could really learn something here this is the most precise game I've ever seen why is it tennis what's
0: what's funny the word that comes to mind when I think of tennis and and like the replay when it shows it like no the ball landed here it was out of bounds or in bounds above reproach that's that's the word that comes to my mind when I think of tennis officiating when it comes to replay like the tennis replay system is above reproach. No one disagrees with it. No one says like, oh, no, we got it wrong. Like that ball really went out of bounds. It's like, no, man, like here, here it is. It's clearly on the outside of the line. It's like there's we're sorry, but like there's no wiggle room. You know, it must. I, yeah, you would think the NFL could figure that out. It's pretty hilarious.
1: You know, what's funny, even about the sentence I read about the umpire standing over the which is a direct line from the NFL rule book. It's like, okay, you think it would be like the defense, like the offense signals that all of their men are on the field, and the defense has a pers- like ten seconds to substitute, you know? But it's like it tells a, re- it, it says reasonable time to complete the substitutions. What does that mean? That could mean almost anything, you know that that the defense has a reasonable time to complete their their substitutions. So. It's just funny that even that rule, which felt very precise as I was writing it down. Now I'm realizing like, well, reasonable time can be five. Does that mean five seconds or 20 seconds? Like it really isn't uh, that precise of a. Yeah. Oh, re- boy. We, re- reasonable- can't, can't live with it. Can't live without it.
0: Reasonable time sounds a lot like intentional grounding to me. Like, <laughs> wait, How these are subjective terms. Like, how are we trying to understand someone's intention or like what is, and what is not reasonable? Like, I don't know. I, I just want an English teacher to be next to everyone when they write everything down and be like, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Here's what this word means. And here's what oh, that I, word means.
1: I thought you meant an English teacher like uh, as the eighth official or something to interpret. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I like that idea, too. But. The, the
0: the English teacher as the eighth official would be like this rule book doesn't make any sense, guys. We there's There's a lot of subjective language in here we need objective language that's going to help us um oh man so okay the point of the point of doing it right now miles was and 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 mission accomplished we're giving our raw feedback in the moment what was your raw feedback your raw feeling when you saw that packers game go final and maybe even better like they kept showing it right so like as you kind of saw like oh this is getting close oh no like there's not much time left the Packers have a lead what was your emotion I guess just as you were kind of seeing that score and that opportunity dwindle
1: yeah first off I was totally locked in single screen to the Seahawks game I don't know if you're actually watching the the Packers Bears thing or not but I guess I was thinking I was thinking two things that maybe are opposite to one another. I was thinking, number one, Seahawks didn't deserve to get into the postseason this year. They didn't deserve it. It's kind of a, it feels like a good. And you know what? That goes opposite to what I was just saying last week about Sean Payton, maybe throwing away a chance to get into the playoffs with Jared Stidham. I should, you can't take an opportunity to get into the playoffs for granted, as I was doing throughout the week. But even, even throughout the week, I was kind of going like, man, they've just given away so many games. They they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And number two, my other thought was I I feel so, so prepared to defend Pete Carroll and Geno Smith uh, intently, intensely. I, I feel very strong in my defense of them, even though they're the head coach and the quarterback of a team that didn't make, that didn't deserve to make the playoffs. I think you had to watch. I think it doesn't make sense unless you watched the majority of the games. Because from the outside, I was seeing some criticism of Geno Smith this week online, and and of Pete Carroll. And I just, I just didn't agree with it. And it just, I think if you're just kind of checking in with the Seahawks, they definitely didn't cover themselves in glory on their nationally broadcast games. It just kind of looks like a broken down team a little bit. But man, I think it. I think it's a team with a lot of good components. I will say, there's a few moments throughout the year, not very many, when I would watch some of these NFC South games, and I was like, oh, it would have been nice if the Hawks could have had the NFC South on their schedule. If if, if the Hawks, there's no way to prove this, but I'm so confident, if the Hawks were in the NFC South, they'd be 12-5 and five and in the playoffs. I well, mean, yeah. I, those, yeah, those are sense. four teams that were tripping all over each other, and since one of them had to get into the playoffs, the Hawks are still... the one of the seven best teams in the NFC. There's no, there's no, I, I 100% believe that, you know? So anyway, there was Um, a
0: great meme. I don't know if you saw this of, you know, the meme of like the four headed dragon, you know, and, and like two look serious and one's a goofball. Do do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. So I saw that meme with the NFC South as the goofball dragon head. And like, that meme has never made more sense to me than seeing it, in in conjunction with the NFC South cuz it's just it was such a bad division and the other divisions were so much better than that one it is like it, it it's shocking like how the gap in i well I'm not going to say talent but the gap in whatever in winning let's results. just call it winning yeah results
1: <laughs> it's hard to criticize though i mean to, 2010 was a long oh. time ago but boy was the NFC West that division on the on the eve of one beast quake, you know, so who knows? Sure. maybe maybe the Buccaneers got a beast quake in them and we'll
0: well and well, Forty ers or something. It's, it's a great point, man. A beast quake at the hands of the NFC South. So it's a good point. Maybe oh. maybe they flip the script on us. Um, I was one of the people rooting for a seven and nine team in the playoffs. So. Yeah, it's it's actually a really good point. <laughs> that's 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 a bit of a like splash of cold water to the face. Like, yeah, let's uh let's keep it. Yeah, at the let's same time, twenty
1: ten is kind of a long time ago at this point, maybe <laughs> well,
0: well, I get is isn't that crazy? That blows my mind. I was just watching um I was with my brother and my sister in law at their first apartment the the night that the Seahawks beat the Dallas Cowboys when Tony Romo fumbled the snap. Um, or fumbled the 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 long snap for the field goal that would, like they were going to win the game. Like the game was over and he fumbles it. He has to grab it. He gets tackled by Jordan Babineau. The Seahawks go on to win the game. And I showed it to my brother-in-law and that was 17 years ago. 17 years ago today that happened. And it's just like it's hard to even imagine that that was 17 years ago and it's hard to imagine Beast Quake was what 13 years ago that's insane 14 years ago
1: Whew. Pete's well, been there the whole time these years keep coming well not for the Romo one but
0: not for the Romo that, that, was, that was the Beastquake yeah that was Mike um <clears throat> Okay, so
1: that, that was my emotions—the the saying, "Hey, they didn't deserve to make the playoffs," and yeah. I feel so confident in Pete and Gino going forward. I got a little more to to display my confidence of Pete and just in a, a little bit. But what were your emotions as uh, this very emotional day
0: unfolded? Yeah. Um, going into the game, I have a confession, Miles. Confession. As Brock Heward would say, good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I have I have a confession to make on the digital airwaves, which are podcast ubiquity. I went into this game feeling fairly confident we would lose. And I just and the reason why and I'll say my gut was correct. I just going into the game, I was like, listen, we can't stop the run if you can't stop the run, you cannot count on winning. So sorry, man, like it's, it's going to be a loss. And I kind of, so it's weird. I'm usually very upbeat, but I went into this game with a little bit of a defeatist attitude going into it, which is, you know, me as well as anyone like that's, that's not stereotypical for me at all. And so I kind of went into this game a bit loosey goosey because I, expectations are so int- like, integrated into the way that we perceive the world that, For me, my expectations were low, if I'm just being totally honest. I was like, yeah, this team, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs. We can't stop the run. That's it. Like, that's it's as simple as that to me. And so going into it, obviously, I want to make the playoffs. But I'll say I don't want to make the playoffs because I think this team could have won a Super Bowl. I go back to that Devin Witherspoon idea. I wanted them to make the playoffs for all of these young guys to get more experience. I want them to, I want all of those guys to have one more game and like, and have to prepare for a playoff game and have to feel the pressure of a playoff game. I just, I, I'm such a believer in the human experience of us having to cash all of these difficult, hard, unique experiences. And that creates a better version of ourselves that as I was like thinking about, I was like, yeah, man, like. I want Devin Witherspoon and I want JSN um, and Derek Hall and all of these guys, Jake Bobo. Like, I want all of them to grow more and like one more game to grow while all of their other rookie friends are sitting at home, not having a chance to grow. I think that's very valuable. So that so for me, the emotion of it for me is like jsn and witherspoon and cam young maybe my favorite of the rookies to talk about um funny enough as that is and like all of those guys it's one last chance for them one less chance for them to grow and maybe two less chances for them to grow and and get stronger and get better um which i think helped last year's team i think it helped to let those rookies have another opportunity to play and have to keep competing and, and working through stuff um And I mean, being in the playoffs is such a unique thing. I was just listening to um, Tony Gonzalez and he said, I think he said like he was talking to some guy that's been in the playoff, like playoffs, like every year of his career. And he was laughing. He was like, dude, I made the playoffs three times in my entire career. Like, no way. You know what? Isn't that crazy? Like, and I, I could be getting the number wrong, but it was a number like three or four. I mean, it's a tiny number.
1: Yeah. And he played for a long time.
0: And and maybe the best tight end that's ever played the game and like his opportunity playing, playing as, as good as you can play as a tight end, he was given three or four shots at the playoffs. And so th- these moments for these guys, their bodies decay so fast, it's all precious. So I, I tend to think of it that way. Um, it, to me, it wasn't surprising that we're not getting into the playoffs. I'm not heartbroken. I've, I've kind of moved past it. And, and what do we do next year? Um, but man, I I do like look at other teams that are in the playoffs and I think of those rookies and I'm like, yeah, they they keep they will get better. Like they their runway is still ahead of them. And now our runway is over and now it's just, you know, evaluation time. So that that was my first emotion. I'll tell you really quickly my second emotion, which was. I love the way the game ended. I love. That Gino was rewarded, and Tyler were rewarded. like i I love the fact that their stat lines increased. I love that Tyler kind of ended the game in glory, which I think is kind of cool. Like it's in some ways it's a it's a cool subtext of the team. Like Tyler Lockett gets your final eight points of the year. Um, I think that's kind of neat. It's I hope. So I'm glad those guys got rewarded. I hope that this is an incredible pain to John Schneider and Pete Carroll that like clearly the problem is the run game. And like, I I just hope that when they when they're doing their evaluation and I know it will, it has to be that like even at the end of this game, like we still couldn't really stop the run. Um, They eventually were able to stop it somewhat. But I hope that that like is something that's just stuck in their craw for the the next six or seven months it's like dude we got to figure out a way to stop the run like that has to be priority number one with like period exclamation with a bullet however however you want to say it like we have to learn how to stop the run so I guess those are my emotions my emotions are um I hope that this is a wake-up call for Pete and John which I don't think they need it but we all need it sometimes and and I'm bummed for the rookies that they didn't get a chance to play more. So that's my long, long answer to the question.
1: Man, I had not been considering your your point that you're making about the rookies. Now I am sad about the playoffs because you're right. I'm thinking about CJ Stroud over there. Who uh, there's so much happening. to He got in, right? Yes, yeah, they got in. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last night and What an opportunity for him as a rookie. That's so, especially a rookie quarterback. I'm sure, there's many other rookies that I'm not. Thinking of well, right now, the, who got the other one that comes up. to
0: my mind is Puka Nakua. Like the fact that Puka gets to get like continue this. A- as someone who dislikes the Rams as much as anyone in the world, I don't think anyone can hate Puka Nakua. Like I, I would challenge any of my friends that are Seahawks fans. I don't think anyone sits here is is like, "Oh man, I freaking hate that Puka Nakua guy." Like he's he is everything that you should root for in football. Like a, a fourth round pick that. I think probably today, I'm assuming he set all of the rookie records for being a, a wide receiver. Um, good for him, you know? And he gets to take another bite next week. Like, let's go. He gets to keep playing and competing. Good for Puka. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree. Yeah, I, I think of Puka. You think of CJ. CJ's a great call out.
1: And hey, you, you can win the Super Bowl until you're eliminated. This might, You know, he's not just thinking of it as, hey, I get this one week of experience. You You got to think of it as, I'm alive to make the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl, until I'm not. And they are. Yeah, The Hawks were until about 4.15 or or something today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I was texting with some friends. This is not the Eagles-only podcast, the world's only Eagles podcast. But if it was, I think I'd want to talk about just how weird and interesting the Eagles season has been. Like, what a if you want to just talk about a season that doesn't make any sense, like the Eagles were a runaway train from hell that was ripping through the NFL weeks one through 11, yeah, 11, 12. And then the, the fact that the train is completely off the tracks is unbelievable. Like I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what to say. We need to have shield Kapati on so we can talk to him about Eagles, like breakdowns. I don't get it. Like, how do you describe, if you're an Eagles fan, How or even, man, if you're a Dallas fan and you're looking at the Eagles, if you're an NFC East fan, how do you like get your head around that team? So, I know th- this is the Seahawks podcast, not the Eagles podcast. I don't get those birds confused whatsoever, but holy moly, just thinking about storylines in the NFL this year, I think that's a crazy one.
1: Well, the good news of the Eagles and their fan base is they're probably just taking everything very reasonably and level-headed. And mm-hmm. they're kind of, you know, having these Northwestern-style reflections just like we are, you know, taking quotes from the press conferences and reflecting on them. Yeah.
0: That is <laughs> – it is funny to think how stereotypical this this podcast is to the Northwest. <laughs> I never even thought about it. Like, let's just kind of, you know, dig into it and like talk philosophy and like just talk through um, how we should be thinking about the approach to uh, see.
1: Hey, hey, there's a reason Pete landed here, man. You know, 14 years. I mean, my
0: goodness. Oh, that's hilarious, man. That's that's a really great. Yeah. I wouldn't survive, would I? I would not survive in the Philadelphia I am such a prominent media member in the Seattle market, but I would not survive in the Philadelphia market. I'd be laughed out of town. They'd say like your, your takes aren't hot enough.
1: Yeah. I wonder where else it could work. Cause it work in Jacksonville. Is it like, is it about being a smaller place or I don't think so? Cause yes, they have, it's too, too I, Floridian. I think,
0: I'm assuming that Jacksonville has a lot of New Yorkers. So I don't think, I don't think they would take to it very well.
1: You know what hmm. I think could work? Actually, the number two option this might hurt to hear, but i think I think it's correct. I think it would be with the uh, forty ers That's like kind of the like football philosophy. like, you know,
0: let's think through it a little bit. Let's yeah, take our yeah, time. Yeah. We're, gonna th-
1: we're gonna think our way to victory here and
0: maybe, yeah, that that might be true. It does hurt a little bit to hear, but um, you know, sometimes you hate your reflection the most. So maybe that you know maybe there's there's some good some good fodder there. Um, where do we go from here, Miles? So the Seahawks lost, the Packers won, the season's over.
1: Can I defend Pete and Gino for a little bit? Please do. I'm going to, I'm going to go Gino, then Pete. So I saw there was, I looked on Twitter, (sighs) bad choice from the start.
0: Good, good stuff happened on Twitter every day. Just a lot of neat stuff.
1: And, uh, well, and I was also looking on Reddit, which got my Pete thoughts going, which is also, also, guys, don't, hey, you got everything you need here. This this is the only podcast that covers the Seahawks. Don't even go to those other mediums. You got everything you need right here. We'll sort through it. I saw some analytic minded folk discussing the idea that the Seahawks with Gino right now is really similar to where the Chiefs were with Alex Smith before they got Patrick Mahomes. And there's a stat called expected points per play. That's kind of analyzing the, the down a distance and the leverage with, the, with the points in the game and, and trying to evaluate how much is a quarterback adding to their team through that. And so Gino is 17th in the league, which is a pretty, you could say that was kind of where Alex Smith was like its average is and you want to say like hey is this this is this mediocre so here's the deal Gino Smith 17 you ready for the next few who he's like an inch behind in these stats yes 16 Justin Herbert 15 Matthew Stafford 14 Trevor Lawrence 13 Jared Goff 12 Joe Burrow okay so Gino's a, a, an inch behind all those guys are we going to move off them and look and dig through the draft for another quarterback who may or may not work out? I don't think so, man. I, it's just, with Geno, it felt like... Geno made very few mistakes across the entire year. He keeps incredible care of the ball, both as a runner and as a passer over the air. And it just felt like... It felt like the offensive design d- never let him, like, let it rip. I think his skill level is above that that 17th. I noticed today there were only two deep pass attempts the whole game, and they were the two really deep completions to Tyler Lockett. It's like, hey, our season's kind of on the line here. I, it was just bizarre. Like, we're really going to run it exactly as much as we pass it, and we're going to pass it short 90% of the time. Hey, He completed both of those two long passes. Let's, let's let it rip a little bit here. So I really don't – I think if the Seahawks want to make the playoffs in 2024 – you have to stick with Geno Smith. You're gonna be in the middle of the first round, mid first round quarter middle first round quarterbacks do not have a great track record in their rookie year. Even Patrick Mahomes himself did not start his rookie year at 10th overall. And, you know, okay, there's some names in free agency that I I'm not convinced there's a free agent quarterback, though, that's definitively better than Geno Smith. I enjoy having him as a quarterback. I think he should be and will continue to be the quarterback in 2024. I was wondering if maybe just with his past resume, if there's some sort of bias thing here where it's like, if a really high draft pick is doing well, you're kind of looking for reasons for him to be good. But with Gino's experience of being such a lengthy backup, or maybe like if something goes poorly, then you're kind of like pouncing on the reasons that he's bad, you know, instead of just like focusing on, Hey, he's doing just as many good things here, you know? Um, so anyway, that's my defense of Gino. Do you are you as confident in Gino as I am? Are you ready to to go at it again and and content and happy while doing so?
0: Yeah, it's funny. So as you were talking, I uh, I was looking up Gino Smith stats uh, for the year, and I, of course, looking that up, I have last year's right next to me as well. And because I wanted to kind of get a feel for it, I haven't really thought about this yet. So first of all, the, the first thing I have to say is the reason the Seahawks are not in the playoffs. The reason the Seahawks are not in the playoffs is because we cannot stop the run. Period. End of story. That That is the entire um, that's that's my message to anybody. Like, that's it. That's it. So it's not Geno's fault. Geno did nothing to lose games. Now. I don't think that Gino is a top-tier quarterback. I don't think he is. I don't think he's a top five or top, maybe not a top 10 quarterback. I think he's like a number 12 to 13. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's fine. Um, and I think you can win a Super Bowl with the Geno Smith. You have to be able to do other things correctly. And Geno is not the reason why this team didn't make the playoffs. And I just I think that has to be super clear. I'm looking at his numbers compared to last year, right? So last year is like this, um, this epiphany, right? It's like, man, he was so good. This is incredible. Like we have our guy. If you look at it in context, now I'll say the number, there is one number that really is massive. There's one number that's massively different. Geno Smith touchdown to interception ratio this year was 20 touchdowns for nine interceptions Last year, it was 30 touchdowns for 11 interceptions. So that's legitimately like that's that's a big difference. Um, But if you look at a few other things, Geno Smith was sacked 31 times this year. He was sacked 46 last year. I think that has a lot to do with him getting rid of the football. But this is the number that really kind of made me think about it. Do you want to know? Do you know what Geno Smith's rating was last year compared to this year? I'm assuming you don't know it off the top of your head.
1: Do you I, don't, th- I knew I do. The passing touchdowns were way down. I thought that's where you were going to go with the big, the big change in number. But so no, I don't know the. So that, you're right. Twenty twenty two higher in rating.
0: Yeah. So so that was the big change in number. By the way, I'm done. Like that. That was the the, the touchdown. Well, which thing.
1: Which year was higher?
0: Um. So so for so I'll give you both. So for touchdowns, last year was thirty touchdowns. This year was twenty. Um. So that ratio was way way better. And I'm assuming that's the ratio that really plays into the rating. Shockingly, though, the rating isn't that different. Oh, Geno Smith had this year, 2023, 15 games, 92.1% rating. Last year, Geno Smith had a 100.9% rating. So it's not... It's not as though that number is some crazy difference, right? I mean th- that's that seems pretty normal. Um, Gino was 64 percent passing this year. He was 69.8 percent last year, which is almost cruel, like that he didn't get quite to 70 percent. Um, so I mean there there's definitely some differences, but Gino's not the problem it and and I agree with you G- Pete is not either but you could at least make an argument that Pete has responsibility with the run game because he's the head coach. Gino has no response. Like Gino can't, (laughs) Gino cannot help stop the run. Like he shouldn't be leaving the quarterback room during midweek and running over to the defensive lineman room and being like, all right, guys, listen, our two gap is just, we're all over the place. Like we really need to stop the run here and here. Like Gino can do nothing. Um, And I'm sure Pete would agree with that. Like Pete and his defensive staff need to figure out how to stop the run better, whether that's getting more big bodies, whether that's getting um, faster, more agile linebackers. I don't know the answer to all of that, but stopping the run is the issue. So, I mean, long story short, I agree with you. Pete, Gino, big picture aren't the issue. Like this team simply has to do the most fundamental thing in football. Stop the run.
1: Yeah, you make a great point that the run game is is under Pete's responsibility. I hadn't quite considered that. Uh so but I'm going to go into my P defense now. You ready? So and, and uh, I'll just say
0: this. Think about yeah, yeah. all the things a, a head coach has to do. Like just a I'm I'm just backing you up here. Like No, you, you make a good point. Of all the things a coach has, a head coach is responsible for, I don't know how you would divvy up like what percentage of that is the run game. But like Probably, at the very most, you would say the four aspects of football is run the football, pass the football, stop the run, and pat and and stop the pass, right? Like those at least are the four main categories. So I feel like at worst, I could rate Pete as like failing in one of those categories where it's like, yeah, man, like we gotta figure out how to stop the run. But like, are you passing the football pretty well? Yeah, are you running it pretty well? yeah, are you are you defending the pass fairly well? Yeah. That's the only, the running, the stopping the runs, my only real issue. So I'll shut up.
1: That's, that's my take. You, you make a great point about those four categories, but and that is just so offensive to long snappers everywhere, you know, to just you're only right. have those four, you know, there's, there's a little more than four, but I guess you're right. Those are the four ones that happen most often.
0: You you don't appreciate your long snapper until he's gone. And then it's a big
1: issue. <laughs> like your kitchen faucet. Yes. Uh, so A a very small extension happened in the NFL this week that got me ultimately thinking about Pete Carroll. The Baltimore Ravens re-signed nose tackle Michael Pierce for a two-year, $7.5 million deal. This got me very mad because I do remember that uh, the domination of the Ravens over the Seahawks, 38-3, and I remember Michael Pierce at the nose tackle just... It felt like he had a dominant game. So two years, $7.5 million. That felt extremely low to me. And I was going, the Ravens have done it again. The Ravens are so praised for, they're just so fiscally responsible. They're so smart with letting free agents go, racking up compensatory third and fourth round picks, and just kind of having this constant cycle of guys moving in and out. They got Lamar Jackson. They are known as one of the most analytically smart franchises. And Pete, he's got a reputation for uh, kind of old-fashioned with the running thing, uh, maybe a little too old at this point. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the postseason numbers. The last 10 full seasons before this one, playoff wins. Uh, Ravens have two, Seahawks have five. Last five full seasons, each team only has one. So despite, there's somehow there's this reputation mismatch that like the Seahawks are kind of... Analytically blind and the Ravens are on the cutting edge. It's resulted in one playoff win over the last five years for each team. Uh, the whole the whole coaching tenure, John Harbaugh and his time in Baltimore, Pete Carroll and his time just at Seattle, not the Jets and Patriots stuff, but John Harbaugh 0.73 playoff wins per year. Pete Carroll 0.76 per year. So it's basically a tie. And then I started wandering down. There's just a random list of some of the veteran. Head coaches, remember Pete, at .76 playoff wins per year with the Seahawks. Andy Reid, he's at .88 for his career. It is up to 1.2 with just the Chiefs, but he was with the Eagles for a long time. So Andy Reid, he's an inch ahead, .88. Bill Belichick, pretty far ahead. He's at 1.3 win playoff wins per year with the Pats. Mike Tomlin, 0.5 per year. So Pete Carroll's ahead of him. And the one that really shocked me, uh, Sean Payton, not even looking taking into account this Broncos year with the Saints he was at 0.6 and you would say oh Sean Payton's the genius of the passing game of all time but he's he's just a little and the beast quake responsible it's full circle I heard he's him. a little bit behind so I do think you know with Pete especially there's been this idea that he's really lost his fastball because the team hasn't won very many playoff games in a long time and it just doesn't quite feel that that's true. And I feel like he he's he's just willing to sacrifice his reputation out there. He's willing to be the rah-rah guy and, and enthusiastic about the run in, in the passing era of the game. But the postseason numbers, I mean, he, he stacks up as good as anybody. And what, here's my last thought. I kind of wondered, I wonder if Pete's reputation, if we're, if we're overthinking a little bit generally, and if Pete's reputation would have been better If the Seahawks went like four and 13 last year, because Russell Wilson, I didn't realize he was this high in the all time. And this is the all time record books. Russell Wilson is 19th in career passing yards and 13th in career touchdowns. He's only in his mid thirties. He's, 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 they say rushing touchdown. He's 13th in passing touchdowns. Sorry. I forget what I said. So he's top 20 in both of these all time quarterback categories. He's, he's got several years to go because he takes great care of his body. And the Seahawks traded this guy. That's no, that, that doesn't really happen. They traded him when he was, what, 33, 34? Yeah. So to come right back after that at 9 and 8, then when you're looking year by year, it's like, well, there's no change. But no, no there was a huge change and i almost wonder if we'd be giving him credit for like oh the team went down to the bottom and he's brought him back up to nine and eight in 2023 and it was like no it just it just he found a way uh you know just
0: never got bad
1: yeah yeah they just never got bad and so so, um yeah there is this this playoff winning drought but there's this hidden this should have been a whole dip down rebuild like the Cardinals or something are, or the bears are experiencing right now. Like, but it just never, it just never got to that point. So I think, I think being critical of Pete and the lack of playoff success for a while is, is kind of ignoring that you had to go on this journey with Russell Wilson. You had to get to that end and you had to rebuild it again. And, and I think for the most part of, although, although the run defense. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, but for for the most part, it's it's been built, and the team still has an identity, and still has a a lot of good things going for it. And I'm I'm I was really struck this year by how it it seems like the Seahawks are the best employer to play for in the NFL. I really don't. There's not a team that really stands out as like a better as just a a plain old company. That takes better care of its employees than the Seahawks. and Pete Carroll's is a big part of that,
0: I agree. no. i I totally agree. and And next week, we will have the h r manager of the Seahawks on, and he the, he or she is just going to talk through all of all of the details of their employment record.
1: these binders, these PowerPoint slides, these They're are massive. these are the NFL's best the,
0: This is how you win championships with with a good hr department. No, I, I totally agree with you, man. And I, I think that, Um, I think that Pete is a victim of consistency. I really do. And I think he's a victim of, um, of a stereotype that people put him into without giving him the credit for, um, some of the brilliance it's, it's so easy. And maybe Sean Payton, someone who I very, you know, specifically dislike, maybe he's a good example of someone who does a better job of Pete at putting himself out there as a genius and as great. And as like, yeah, I'm this hardline, great coach. And it's like, it, then if you look at their numbers, it's like, well, no, Pete is has like much better numbers than you. Like that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And it, I mean, I I am shocked that Pete's numbers are that much better than Mike Tomlin's. I think that's really interesting. Cause I think from a tenure perspective, they're the most Tomlin, Belichick and Pete, Probably have the most commonality when it comes to just raw years in their like in this moment in their NFL careers. As far as Pete with the Seahawks, Tomlin with the Steelers, Belichick with the Pats, they you know they're all kind of in the same boat of like we've had our job for a long time, like we we got some good tenure. No, I I, every time I see that Pete's on the hot seat, I laugh. I think it's a dumb take. I think it's a I and and frankly. Um, And I think you'd agree with me on this. I think it's a lazy take that a lot of people have when they treetop and 3000, 30,000 foot view, look at the landscape of of the NFL. Hey, this team we thought should have won one or two more games than they won this year. He's in trouble. It's like, no. And, and I say this, the run game or the, the, the run defense is a big problem. That's an extremely solvable problem, right? I mean, that's a problem you can solve in free agency. That's a problem you can solve in the draft. Um, and I think we can even look at this team and, and say, like, they clearly have an issue stopping the run on the edges. They clearly have an issue with some of their fits on the inside. Um, we talk, we've we already talked a lot about Chenna, and, like, he's an important part of their run fit. Daryl Taylor, great, like... Great get-to-the-passer guy, but he's not a good run-stopping guy. He's probably not going to be on this team. This team is going to continue to get better at stopping the run. I believe that. I just actually learned we have Jaron Reed on a two-year deal, which I think is maybe the best deal we've signed in a long time. Like, that's crazy. Jaron Reed is having a crazy good year. I think seven or eight sacks in the middle of your defense, and the fact that we have that guy locked up, Hopefully we keep Leonard Williams. I think he's a really good asset. And and they I think this is something they can figure out. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll certainly know how to fix that problem. Like they know how to stop the run. Um, Can I give you some encouragement of why they're going to stop the run? Absolutely. So I would have said the exact same thing last year. So (laughs) maybe not a great point, but. I remember distinctly after John Schneider's first year, we played the Raiders and they ran it all over us. I mean, it was, it was gross. It was terrible. And end of the year press conference, John Schneider said, I watched that game. And I said to myself, that will never happen to us ever again. I won't, I will not allow it. Meaning like I will get the personnel so that a team cannot push us around physically Now, the last two years, stopping the run has been an issue. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I do think that this is a solvable issue. And if we cannot be so reactionary and look at big picture, something that John Schneider has done an insanely good job of is finding value in the interior um, defensive line. Tony McDaniel, Clint McDonald are two like easy examples of guys that we basically picked up for nothing in free agency. And they performed insanely well on our defense, so I have a lot of faith that that John will fix this. And I think it's really a John Schneider, Pete Carroll, like it's them being a team together. They're going to fix the problem. I if they don't, it's going to be another hard year. But I think they will. I, I I'm not going to stress out about it.
1: it. They're in such lockstep, and it's interesting. I feel like it doesn't really happen where you know these guys were not brought in as friends beforehand, you know, they, they hadn't worked together previously, but you know, they're in lockstep and it'll, it will be really interesting to now that we're moving into the off season, we kind of, will get to see how John Schneider was thinking about this entire year, you know, and you're, you're right. It'll be really compelling to see the moves that they make. And I'm, I'm very interested to see, to see how it goes. Cause yeah, he's, he's got his eyes on somebody in some depth chart where we haven't, talked about all year or thought of. And, you know, he's, he's got his free agent targets and in the middle to lower class of free agency. And I'm curious to see how it goes. Yep. No,
0: hundred percent. I, I mean, t- just to put a bow in what you just said, if I was to tell you something that there's no way it's going to work. And I, I felt this way when it happened, Hey, we're going to hire a head coach who historically has been a bad head coach in the NFL. And we're going to have him help us hire the GM. And he's going to have say in who the GM is. Like, if I told you that's how a team approached like an offseason, they're going to hire the head coach. And then the head coach is going to pick the GM. I feel as though like I would say like that's one of the dumbest plans I've ever heard in my life. Like that is going to fail. You can't have a coach pick a GM like that feels like conflict of interest all over the place The way that pride works in the universe, it will not work. And the fact that that's how it went down with Pete and John and that it's been one of the best marriages in NFL history and that they're in lockstep and they work well together and that they both leave the ego at the door, as far as we can tell. Um, And the fact that they both actively give away credit to the other. That, that Pete is constantly like, no, that's Johnny. That's that, that's his department. That's what John does. I'm just here, you know, molding the clay. And the fact that like John is constantly saying how great Pete is. How do you even think through that? I mean, it's just the odds of that working. I feel like we're so crazy. And it worked to a teak is like two guys that I think like leave the ego at the door. I mean, I think that really has to do. That's most of the equation.
1: it it uh it makes the team fun to root for not it does. every team is this fun i mean you see there's stuff stuff happening around the league there's a lot of not fun situations uh even amongst some playoff teams maybe uh and yeah it's a, it's a really positive situation year after year and maybe it's about getting older realize how valuable that is or you just maybe as you get older you you see the front office more and uh, its effect on things and yeah, <laughs> I'm re- I love this front office man. <laughs>
0: no, they're they're good.
1: Um, let me say, let me say this: uh, seeing you know, there's so many peat nuggets that we go to. Looking at the Portland Trailblazers, a, a team I'm uh, <laughs> I see up close. There's there's not as many nuggets in that river. Let me let me say that it's it's we're not we wouldn't just do a Pete Nugget for if it was any. It, it's a really unique situation that somebody can be that insightful, that positive, that inspiring of his that motivated to it's rare to have a coach who's that positively motivated to win every week. Really? I mean, yeah, pretty cool. No,
0: I, I couldn't agree more. I For a second, I thought you were about to announce that this is now the world's only Trailblazers podcast, which I was going to really have to. Just rise to the occasion, but I would have done it if you needed me to. I, I, oh no, I think, you know. I think
1: I think we're good.
0: Okay, um, is that it? Are we done today, Miles? Is this is we're it- done
1: for today? I'm excited. We're ta- we're gonna release an episode later this month, looking back on the season. I'm yep. excited to look back on the whole season. I'm excited to look forward to the off season. The NFL doesn't stop. Look, it's January seventh right now. These guys are figuring out their plane tickets to the Combine in Indianapolis. I mean, it's coming up.
0: It's crazy. You know, I, I always, whenever the season ends with the NFL, this is what I always think about. When Christmas ends, I have to wait 365 days for the next Christmas. There's no if ands, or buts about it. Christmas is over. We have a whole calendar year to get back to Christmas. We just have to make it to September, man. We're, we're already in January. We got through October and November and December with football. It's January. We, now we just got, and we got some good stuff to your point. We have, um, uh, what's going to be a super exciting playoff, more, more exciting if the Hawks were in it, but we're going to have a fun playoff season. We're going to have a great Super Bowl. And then to your point, the NFL schedule never ends where the draft will be upon us soon. Um, it's it's going to be exciting. I'm excited for our wrap up episode, our our season wrap. Once we have some time to kind of percolate on this, I think a little bit, marinate on on the season that was, and and look to the season into the future. Um, but man, honestly, this has been super fun. I I have enjoyed this immensely every single week. It's been a highlight, um, and I, I'm glad we did this one a little differently today.
1: Oh man, everyone's been a highlight, absolutely. If whoever you are out there in the world, somebody I know personally, somebody I don't know somehow, and if you are listening to this at this point in the episode and gotten this far, thank you. Insane, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, hey, let's let's with that. That's a perfect ending. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.